right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's up? How's it going? Derek Johnson, Adam Drovetta here for another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're out early today at 515. We're going to have high school hoops on the airwaves tonight on KLWN. I don't uh, care what you say. I'm leaving before 515. Yeah, Adam's taking off early. He's ditching work. I'm letting him because I'm that kind of boss. No, um, he's going to get out for coverage of Free State. They're going to be taking on Shawnee Mission East. Girls game at 530, pregame at 515. Boys game, a little bit after that. It's actually senior night. They're going to be honoring the seniors between the games. And uh, Adam and Craig will have the girls game. Myself and Craig will have the boys game. We are going to be joined by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, coming up later in the show. You can also hear him tomorrow more programming notes on klwn for the ku game against oklahoma tip off at 12 pregame at 10 30 here on klwn and our sister station 105.9 kiss and on saturday we also have ku women's basketball big one for them against kansas state at home in which a win would not quite solidify their ncaa tournament status but it would go a long way toward getting there and then Sunday, we have the Super Bowl, which you can hear that as well. Or I guess, I'm sorry, the big game here on KLWN on I think we Sunday. can say Super Bowl since we're talking about, okay. we're, we're a sports station discussing the game. So, And in the Kevin Harlan advertisements, he says Super Bowl. So Okay, cool. If Kevin Harlan says it, then uh, I'm taking my cues from him because Kevin Harlan's awesome. And yeah, you can hear Kevin Harlan on the call. Why would you not want to listen to the game here on KLWN? Pre-game starting at 1 p.m. That's a long pregame, man. Yeah. But I guess it's the big game. It's the big game. The biggest of all the games, The biggest of bigs. Um, Big weekend in the Big 12 at the top. So Texas Tech is taking on TCU, which is a battle between the team who's tied third and the team in fifth. And it's a battle between two teams who have four losses in the conference. And then you have Baylor taking on Texas in Waco. I I think if Texas wins this game, we're going to feel like maybe Texas is a legit threat. But also, I think you would root for Texas because that would give everyone else four losses or more. And then it's obviously big for KU, not in terms of Oklahoma being this team that is unworldly, but they're coming off a big win against Texas Tech. They almost beat you in Norman. They've shown that they can beat some of the better teams in the conference. And the emergence of Umoja Gibson, I I guess I'll call him Emergence Gibson because um, the way he's playing, he's, he's averaging – you know, over 13 points per game in conference play, just had the 30-point outing against Texas Tech. He's a different player from when they last played him, and that gives them another offensive option. This is an Oklahoma team that, if you remember, they score very efficiently inside the arc. They're really good at cutting. They're really good at moving off the ball. They get easy layups. They're top five in the country in two-point percentage. Uh, they're they're okay at shooting threes. It just depends who shoots them. Tanner Groves can be a matchup nightmare at the five position. He missed a lot of threes against Kansas. I wouldn't expect him to miss all those threes this time. They're a difficult team to play against. They have a good defense, but they're not really like elite at anything on either side of the court except for that two-point percentage. Yeah, you don't, you don't look at this team and, and see, you know, certainly like when you look at Kentucky, you don't see a team that's just going to, you know, 
jump right out of the building and, and out-athlete you. Uh, I think KU has the advantage athletically here tomorrow, and I think we saw that in Norman. But there are matchup situations here, and this is going to be one of those things where, you know, I I think Groves is going to be able to do so much offensively, especially if he's if he's making shots, making uh, long shots, you know, threes or, or long twos, but especially if he's making threes, I think David McCormick's going to have to do a lot offensively, one, to offset what Groves is capable of offensively, and also to justify staying on the floor. Because I don't know, and this isn't necessarily a knock on McCormick, I think it's just a matchup thing, if you believe in the old adage, styles make fights, um, that McCormick might be might struggle defensively just because of what OU's good at offensively. Um, and so if, if McCormick is struggling on offense, it's going to be hard to even keep him on the floor because I don't expect much out of him defensively. Yeah, this is this is uh, a big matchup for that center position, like you were saying. I mean, if Tanner Groves is hitting all those threes, it's pulling David McCormick out of the rim, which, to your point, is going to make him uncomfortable on the defensive end of the court. And it's also going to open up those cuts even more for Oklahoma, a top-five offense in two-point percentage. On the flip side, Tanner Groves uh, did not defend David McCormick very well in the NCAA tournament game. They were better against him um, in the meeting in Norman. Now it's obviously different coaching staff, different players around you, all that stuff. Um, But it's also a game that Dave has his fingerprints all over, not just because of the defensive side of the ball, but Oklahoma does not give up transition opportunities. Now, they turn it over a lot offensively, which is a problem for them. Sometimes they try to be too picky and force too many passes with all the cutting that they do, which that's an opportunity for KU to get out in transition. But the problem is KU is last in the Big 12 in forcing turnovers so far in conference games. And so if they can't do that, it's going to be tough to get in transition because Oklahoma doesn't really hit the offensive glass. That's a uh, decision that they make because they'd rather send guys back in transition. It's the opposite of the Baylor game. Yep. Baylor sent two, three guys every time to get offensive rebounds, and because KU did a good job cleaning up the defensive glass, basically once they got the rebound, it was a transition opportunity, and they burned Baylor out of that. You're not going to have the opportunity to do that against Oklahoma. You're going to have to win in the half court, and when we think of half court players, like it, it sounds like Ochag Baji who has been face-guarded these last couple games, like he could get face-guarded by Oklahoma. What other options are you going to have? What other players are going to step up? I immediately think, hey, if you're in the half court and you have nowhere to go with the ball, they're going to dump it down low to David McCormick. Yeah, and and on the on the topic of Ochai, I think my immediate, um, my immediate kind of thought was, well, you know, could this be a sign that KU will will – one, they're playing at home, but could also be a sign that they'll they'll be better this time around against OU because they missed uh, Ochai for a long period of time, and he had such a great second half against Oklahoma. But what did Oklahoma learn the first time around that you know maybe you know Ochai if he he was on pace in that second half to have about twenty two points that game, but what did o- OU learn about him? And then what have they learned since um, that you know you could get yourself into a four on four situation if you just say all right we're going to have one defender and his only job is going to be taking taking um ochai out of the game and so don't bank on just saying well he got hurt early in the first half things will be better for ku because ochai theoretically knock on wood if he avoids injury will be available for an entire game don't necessarily bank on that because ou might sell out to um to guard ochai I think another person who's going to be very important is Dewan Harris. Um, he's shown an ability to drive, and, and I 
I'm not being sarcastic about that. I know how what happened at the end of the Texas game, but he is able to drive. But I think more than anything is his ability to pass. Um, he's, I mean, somebody's going to have to get that ball down to um, to David McCormick, and so that will be. You know, I, I think that's another reason for the, the this could be big for Dewan. You know, you, you want to see a night where he's get. You know, he has six or seven or eight assists. Yeah, this is a game too where I see Joe Yesifu as. You could be the perfect guy to take advantage of that Oklahoma weakness. The fact that they do turn the ball over and KU has not done a good job forcing turnovers. You know, Joe Yesvu has been one of the better players at, at being able to force that that on-ball pressure and come up with deflections or come up with steals for this team. And if he can do that in a game like this, uh, you know, it could just be two times. It could just be three times that he helps out with a situation like that. But if it leads to easy layups... And that's six points for you, or seven points because yeah. you hit a three on one of them. Like that could very much swing a game like this, where you know Ken Palm has it as a ten point game, but I feel like every Big Twelve game is is pretty much going to come down to the last four or five minutes. And I think that's the other piece too. You know, KU against Texas, it was a poor game in terms of execution down the stretch, specifically the last minute, minute five or whatever it was. Can you bounce back from that? I expect that they will because it's a Bill Self-Coach team and it's not often you see them flub up situations at the end of a game. Yeah, and I'll be interested to hear. Haney um, will be on later. I wonder, because Self did talk about the fatigue issue and, and, and giving them a couple days off since they had a long week playing Monday and not playing again till tomorrow. So I do wonder how much fatigue played a role in, in their execution down the stretch, missing free throws. Um, Ochai, you know, missing on the, the lob attempt to, uh, to McCormick. Um, so yeah, maybe it was a fatigue thing and, and maybe you won't see so much of that tomorrow. I'll say this, my, I've, I've had a rule for a long time. Um, you know, road teams and, and in this case, KU is the favorite. So I usually think about this in terms of football when the, the home team is the underdog, but road teams early, early in the day. I tend to give the advantage to the home team. It doesn't always sort out, and I again I make that I make that uh, designation really during football. But I'll be interested to see if if OU is a little um, groggy early and making some mistakes, not going full speed, not fully stretched out, whatever the case may be. I don't know. I'll be interested to see if if the early tip will affect the road team as much as it seems to in football. Yeah, that that will be interesting. The fact that you know. I mean, it's not like a time change, but that is always difficult. Now, I would think it would it would help playing in a juiced environment like KU will be. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is interesting, though. As, as you look at, like, the, the highest pace games for KU, and I, I don't think there's a huge correlation here. Like, I, I did mention this last week. Maybe it's, it's more of a hint than anything, that um, KU has had 11 games finish with a pace of 70 or above. So 70 possessions, I think, for both teams. Um over the course of the season, they are 11 and 0 in those games. In the 12 games where it's been 69 to 63 possessions, they're eight and four. So you could say, well, they're undefeated one way, they're four lost the other way. But eight and four is not a bad record, especially when you consider, okay, well, it makes sense because like everyone in the Big 12 plays slower. So if you're suffering losses in the Big, so I don't know how much of his correlation versus causation, but Oklahoma, the game in Norman was a 63 possession game. That was the lowest mark wow. of a 
game that KU has played this season. That's obviously not to the liking of what KU wants to do. That's more to the liking of what Oklahoma wants to do. But the point I'm making here is that the half court is going to decide this game. This isn't going to be a game, like I said, with Baylor. This isn't going to be a game where you get out in transition and just dominate it that way. Now, maybe there's a few opportunities for you to do that, but this is going to be a game you have to win with execution. This is going to be a game you have to win with that half-court offense, that you have to win with good defense. And that, I think, on its own, is a challenge for KU because at times when that has been the case, they've gone on scoring droughts this season. Yeah, I mean, Stillwater is the ultimate example. Um, I'll say this. I, one thing I've seen this team be better at than past teams, especially younger teams, um, and knock on wood that this continues, when you're when when what you want is to score fast, when what you want is to get out in transition, and the mo of the team you're playing is to pre- prevent you from doing exactly that, especially if you're not able to to get turnovers, and especially if like you said, OU is sacrificing offensive rebounds to get back on defense. This team does seem to be, do a decent job, or they have been so far this year, of oh it looks like I got a fast break. Oh no, now it looks like a one on three, and pulling back. And not just being so dead set. Like, you're at the half court, you go, oh, this is great, fast break. And then all of a sudden the defense catches up to you. And you go, no, I don't care that now it's a one-on-three. I'm going for it anyway. They may, you know, they'll probably foul me. And then you put up a terrible shot, and it's a wasted possession. This team does seem good at, at recognizing, okay, we don't have a fast break. Pull it back. Now, the other side of that, when you make that choice, you need to execute in the half court. Um, but I, I, that's better than just a, a full-on wasted possession because you are so dead set on uh, on getting a fast break and you're losing your patience. So I'm looking at commonalities between Oklahoma's losses and the biggest common theme I could find. I mentioned Oklahoma does not send numbers on the offensive glass. They are a really good defensive rebounding team, though. Um, that is part of being a good defense. Can you close out the defensive possession and not allow them to have another shot at it? Well, they are uh, third during Big 12 play in defensive rebounding percentage, so they do a good job there. KU's been a good offensive rebounding team, especially in Big 12 play, and a big part of that has been games where like David McCormick or Jalen Wilson grab 15, 10 rebounds or something like that and just get super involved on the offensive glass. Well, this again goes up against the strength of Oklahoma. But teams who have gotten their own miss 25% of the time, so their offensive rebounding rate is 25% or better, have gone 10 and 1 against Oklahoma. Wow. Well, and look, that I mean that right there shows if what if what Oklahoma wants to do is limit possessions, a surefire way to get extra possessions is to get offensive boards. Well, and teams that um have gone below rebounding a quarter of their misses, so below a 25% offensive rebounding mark, they are 4-9 and nine against Oklahoma. Or I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I mixed up those stats. They are 1-10 against Oklahoma in games where the offensive rebound rate was below 25%. In games where the offensive rebounding rate was above 25%, they're 9-4, and four, and that includes okay. the Kansas game in Norman. Okay where they collected 37% of their so the, offensive rebounds. the extreme is when OU keeps them below yes. 25%. Yes. Okay. So if OU can limit you below 25% of your they're rebounds, 10 and they're 10-1. and one. When OU does not, they're 4-9. and nine. There's a big, uh, 
I guess, drop off there between the two of them. And KU, if, if you're curious how, like, what percentage does KU average on the season, they're at 34.5%. In Big 12 play, they're at 36%. Well, that's, I mean, right there, what does that tell you? That's just Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson. Now, Ochai, I'll say this against Texas, Ochai. You know, got into the got his nose dirty and got some rebound. And he hasn't. It's not like he's been allergic to rebounds, but it's just we've talked about who are the guys that might not score as much as Ochai, but fill up the rest of the box score. It's been Christian Brown and uh, Jalen Wilson, and, and that's we we brought that mainly up around when we're drafting for Rock Chalk, Rock Chalk um, Pickahawk. But you know, this could be big for the guys that you know fill up the stat sheet in places other than points. Yeah, and it's. You know, for KU, like I said, that skill has been shown this season that they can be a really good offense rebounding team, which makes you feel good about that stat. But the problem is for KU, I wouldn't even call it an identity, even though it's something they've overall done well, because it's just an inconsistent thing when you have David McCormick and you don't know what the consistency is there. Here's the perfect example. KU has had five games this year where the offensive rebound rate has been at 25% or below. They're 2-3 and three in those games. Losses to Texas, Texas Tech, and Kentucky. So uh, whatever version of Dave McCormick shows up, it's that story again. He's going to have a big impact, and KU needs him to perform, albeit to his credit, he has been over the last week or two. Real quick, if I can, I, I'll just say that the, another correlation there could be that um, you're going to get your your offensive rebound numbers will be higher if you make more, or percentage-wise will be higher if you make more shots because you have fewer misses to grab. No, it's percentage-wise. Now that's what I'm totals. saying. Your percentage will go up the fewer balls are coming off after a miss. I'm not catching you. Well, if you get, um, you know, okay, if, if you miss 10 shots, mm-hmm. you'll need five rebounds to get to 50%. If you miss 15 shots, five rebounds gets you to 33%. So they'll, yeah, this is this is rebound rate, though. This isn't total rebound. I understand. Mm-hmm. It's percentage, and but you're, 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 your percentage theoretically will go up when there are more or when you have fewer opportunities to do something. I don't understand that. Okay. Anyway, uh, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to get to our Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk coming up next in our daily poll. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll have our NFL playoff fantasy draft. Uh, we'll let you listen in to what Bill Self had to say. Pro Bowl helped me a lot in that, by the way. Yeah, it did because we did. We agreed to the thing last minute where the Pro Bowl MVP get 25 points. Yeah. And you had him with Justin Herbert. So uh, we'll get to that at 4 o'clock. Like I said, Bill Self Audio, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will join us at 440 here. But we got to get to our game picks, which is a perfect opportunity to talk about the Super Bowl. So, Adam, you're 87 and 70 overall in football on the year. I'm 101 and 91, but specifically in the NFL gone 61 and 44 you're 45 and 45 so you need a, a good week to finish above 500 we have uh some prop bets we have the game to pick let's start right there with the basics los angeles rams minus four versus cincinnati i guess technically a home game for the rams although 
Do they really have home yeah, games? Uh, yeah, it won't be like last year in Tampa, no. i tell you that. They're actually the visiting team, too, so they're in the other locker room. I do think, I'll say this, I don't know how much of an advantage the fan will be. I do think there's something to be said about sleeping in your own bed the whole week. Um, I think that'll play a role more so than any fan activity. Um, I'm going to go Rams, although it seems like that number's been sneaking down toward the Bengals all week, which tells me the big money's on the Bengals. I'd like to see a breakdown of tickets versus actual money to see who the, the bigger betters are, are going towards. I know that Mattress guy out down in Houston's picking the Bengals. Um, Mattress Mac? Mattress Mac, Mac yeah. yeah. I, I don't know why he's become like a part of the sports lexicon. It's kind of annoying. Yeah, but it's the point. I mean, Good he's for getting him. his name yeah. out there. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say, I, I kind of keep coming back to like a 31-17 Rams kind of game. And so for that, I, I think they win by at least, I, I would think double digits. I don't know that how, how exciting of a game. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's a great game. But keep I, that, I'll go Rams. Keep four. that score in mind for the next one we're about to do. Um, I will go with Cincinnati. I actually like the Rams to win this game. I just think it's going to be a really close game. I, I think it's going to be a field goal game or less. If you're giving me four more, if you're giving me three and a half or more, I'm taking Cincinnati with the spread. They have been underdogs through this whole way, and they have just been a underdog covering machine really this whole season. Kind of like the Eagles the year they beat the Patriots. Because the, the Eagles, granted the Eagles were the one seed, but they, they were thought Carson of as Wentz underdogs because yeah. they lost Carson Wentz. So I'll go Cincinnati with the four points. Like I said, I like the Rams to win straight up because I think the defensive line of the Rams is going to dominate the offensive line of the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals have really good weapons in the quarterback, but that's really the one advantage they have. I like the Rams in, in pretty much every other garden, as we talked about the other day. I don't think there's like very much of a separation between the two quarterbacks with Stafford to Burrow. I like the coach a lot better for the Rams, so uh, I like the Rams to win, but because I do like the Bengals in the quarterback edge slightly and those weapons and they've been good as underdogs and i do think at the very least these are close i'll take the Bengals with the point spread the over under is 48 and a half you picked 31 17 so did right you know there. the over under before you picked no, the score I did not <laughs> um well if i think that's gonna be then i got it i'm kind of obligated to pick the under right by half um, a point yeah let's see 28 to 24 would be the over mm -hmm. I'm going to lean over because I can also see 31-21. I can, but the thing is, man, I can just, like, if it's going to be a close game, I can see both teams getting above, you know, at, at 24 or above. Then, you know, I, I see 28-24 as more likely than 17-14. So I think both these teams' defenses are the unsung heroes. With the Rams, it's less of an unsung hero because they have, Aaron Donald and all those good defensive players, Von Miller, that it does get talked about. But it's like the sexy part about the Rams is that they have this, oh, they have this cool young coach and Sean McVay and he has this great offense and they've got Matt Stafford and Odell Beckham and Cooper Cup, the offensive player of the year, and they always have a good running game and everything. And they have maybe the best defense in the NFL. The Bengals, meanwhile, have had a, a really good defense this postseason. They were pretty much average, above average during the regular season. But in the postseason, they've been great. Held the Raiders to 19, the Titans to 16, held the Chiefs to 24, including overtime and just three points in the second half. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. I view this as a game where the kickers are going to get involved a lot. I'm taking the under in this game. I think it's going to be kind of a sloppy, low-scoring game, 20-17. to 17, It'll uh, be about a million degrees, too. 
which I don't know if that'll make people is that, tired. Is it a dome all indoors? Is it open? Like an open it, roof? No, so it has a roof over it, but it is open. So they are going to open it up. No, 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 no. It, it's not a retractable roof. Oh. It's a roof that goes okay. over it, but it's almost like a, a cabana kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to so take the, the weather. You can feel the weather. Now, if it's like raining, that won't affect it because the roof is always closed, but it, it it's not a dome, if that makes sense. Yeah. Just makes picture sense. a huge cabana. No, it's like uh, the Dallas Cowboys old stadium was like this. Actually, my first ever football game I played, I was in second grade. And they had, you know, because when you're little, they don't play the full field. So it was like segmented this field into like four quadrants. And you had each one was 50 yards deep, basically, like half the field size. And I remember it was raining. And you, when you'd be on one end of the field, you'd feel the rain. And then once you got to the other end of the field, you wouldn't feel yeah. it. Yeah. Although th- this one's fun. not even like that because it doesn't have the hole over the field. Okay. Uh, Super Bowl MVP, Matthew Stafford or the field? Now, betting-wise, if you're curious— one. Betting wise, the field is favored. It's like minus one thirty, but it's 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 pretty close to even. Well, I'm picking the Rams. I, I mean, there is Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald. I got a lean field, man. I mean, it's it's just it seems so obvious that if if a you know at this point that if a team wins, it's the but quarterback. It, 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 but it hasn't been like that as of late. It hasn't been as obvious. Um, although Tom Brady didn't Tom Brady win it last year, Patrick Mahomes yeah. the year before. I I'm no, I'm I'm going the field though. Yeah, see to your point, like it was Tom Brady last year, the year before, you could have argued Damian Williams, but yeah. it was Patrick Mahomes. Um year before that was Tom Brady as well. The year that uh, He scored thirteen points and he won MVP. I thought it I could be wrong. No, that might have been um Oh, Kyle Van Noy, maybe? I don't remember who won it that year. It, it, maybe it wasn't Tom Brady. Um, the year that, that the Falcons won it, it was... You lost or, it? I'm sorry, that yeah, that they came back and beat the Falcons, the Patriots. Tom Brady won it, but I remembered sitting there going, like, James White has, like, 12 catches for 100 yards. He has, like, 100 rushing yards. I thought he could have won it, but he didn't. Um, it pretty much goes to the quarterbacks. And you also have the narrative aspect of, Matt Stafford is finally here, yeah. you know, which I feel like that it does impact it. I almost feel like this is how it's going to work. It's either going to go, if the offense does enough for them to win the game, it's Matt Stafford. But even if he has like a 78 quarterback rating. That's the thing. I think back to the, the what, 2007, 2006 Super Bowl where Peyton Manning, was, he had one touchdown, yeah. one interception. He was fine. He wasn't that good, but he, they, got they the gave him MVP, MVP yeah. right? Um, how I feel is that if this is like a 13-3 to game or if this is like 13-7, I think Aaron Donald wins it. If yeah. he gets a sack or two or but Von if it, Miller. If it gets into the 20s, That's it'll probably wind up. Especially with Matt Stafford. If it gets into the 20s and he throws at least one touchdown pass, I think he gets it because the narrative. That said, I'm going the field because I do think it's a close game. So I do think there's a chance the Bengals win it, which would obviously eliminate Stafford. So on that side of it, I have all of the Bengals. I do have the side of maybe Cooper Cup just does so much. It's impossible not to give it to him. Or I do think there is also a piece of, hey, we want to honor the legacy of Aaron Donald. And if he has two sacks or if he has a sack and a couple tackle for losses, like, I don't know, maybe he gets it if it's a lower scoring game and you shut down this high-powered Bengals offense. A national anthem over under 98 seconds. I don't care. But I'll, I'll go over. I it's think a 50 50. It, I think it usually goes like two minutes ish. So I'll go. I'll go over. I'll go over just because, yeah, I feel like the national anthem in the Super Bowl, you're going to want to show your pipes. It? Hell if I know. Is Snoop Dogg doing both? 
He's doing the halftime, and you get the Snoop Dogg uh, national anthem. Maybe that's that's a better one. Let's change this up. Instead of the national anthem, I haven't seen this one on any uh, bookie accounts. Will there be exotic? What was the the term? Exotic. Um, it wasn't exotic. Some type dancers. of acrobat. Pole dancers. No, some type of acrobat. Acrobatic dancers. Something was that like the term? That. Will there be acrobatic dancers at the Super Bowl? They're gonna have pole dancers. Is that what you're asking me? Basically, um, yeah. No. Well, you know what? I'll say yes. I'll say yes. Because <laughs> Snoop, Snoop's part of it. They they do make a big deal out of these things. Lady Gaga, she uh, kind of what's uh, she kind of zip lined in from the stage from the roof when she did it. Mm-hmm. So they go big with these things. I'll say yes. And wait, didn't they? Now that I think about it, didn't they bring out a poll for J-Lo and Shakira and the Chiefs? <laughs> I'm almost, I'm not making that up, man. I'm pretty positive that happened. Wouldn't surprise me. So, yeah, I'll go with yes. Uh, coin toss, heads or tails? Um, uh, uh, tails. Tails never fails. Gatorade color. Okay. You can have either the collection of orange, blue, red, and pink, or you can have the collection of yellow, lime green, clear, which is also water or purple. Water. Okay. So you're going with the you like you you're calling your shot though. You're you're saying that it's I, I mean, think I'll it'll give be, you I'll give you the uh, whole group. Yeah, I'll but. take the whole group, but I think it's gonna be water. Why? You think that Sean McVay is just it like seems boring? consistent. Okay. I, yeah. Uh my lock of the week, fifteen and seven, Cam Akers. You heard uh Shane Jackson talking about this yesterday. Under sixty four and a half rushing the yards. Chiefs won it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Everybody always picks the, like, oh, what colors are the team? It's got to be that color, but a lot of times it's not. Um, okay, college basketball. We got to get on to those picks what again. What was your lock? Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Cam Akers under 64 and a half rushing yards. Ah. College basketball, you are 11 and 6. I am 8 and 9. These are Ken Palm lines because Vegas lines are not out yet. Oklahoma at Kansas. The Jayhawks are minus 10. Seems weird, but I kind of like KU here. Um, I can picture this, but... I don't know. I, I, as soon as I say that, I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. It's now I'm nervous saying it, but I, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay. Stick with my guns. Say KU wins it by about twelve or fifteen. I just have trouble taking lines that are that big in this conference. I know. You know, no matter who you play, it just feels like it's gonna be a close game. You have a team that can play lower possessions, can play good defense. I think that Tanner Groves. I'm expecting him to come in down Fieldhouse because that just makes a lot of sense and hit like four or five threes. And keep it a close game. So I'll, I'll take Kansas to win the game, but I think I like Oklahoma to cover. Number 20, Texas at number 10, Baylor. The Bears are giving up five points. Um, It's in Waco, right? Yeah. Yeah, Bears. I, I think, look, Texas could very well win this thing outright. Um, But I, I do think there's not, even though this isn't necessarily quantifiable, I don't think this will be, you have to worry about a letdown from Texas' standpoint, but I do think, even though it's not quantifiable, there's something to be said about Baylor. Um, be, you know, even though they did get a win um, after losing to KU, was against K State though, right? I don't know. I think Baylor wins it at home. I'm gonna go Baylor as well. Um, maybe it's just a little bit of Texas coming off a high. Baylor not quite coming off a low because they won at Kansas State, but they still have, I'm sure. In their crawl. Last the, Saturday. Yeah. I, I like Baylor minus the five here. Uh, I don't really love it, but I like it enough to take it. Again, like even five points feels like too much in some of these Big 12 games. Number 16, Ohio State at Michigan. Michigan off the pounding over Purdue is favored by two. Really? Well, Ken, I get Vegas knows, Ken Palm knows. Um, but I think Ohio State, 
give me Ohio State because I think they're going to win outright. And if you're giving me points, then then yeah, I'll, I'll take the Buckeyes. Part of me does worry that this is a catch you at a good time moment because Michigan just had that blowout win over Purdue that they're going to be kind of having a letdown after that. But also, this is their biggest rival. I think you get back up is for that. Is it in basketball, too? That's, That's a good question. Maybe it State. is Michigan State. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. It is weird, though, that usually like your school's biggest rival just is your biggest rival, you mm. know? Yeah. But that would make sense that it would be different. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Regardless, um, it's not nothing. Though. And it's, no, it, it means a, a lot. It's a ranked team, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Michigan's starting to figure something out. They had a couple five-stars come in. They've got some good, talented players. It just hasn't really meshed so far. They're starting to figure it out a little bit. Maybe the Purdue game was the culmination of that. I think they're going to start getting rolling now. Give me Michigan in a Ken Palm knows something line. St. Mary's, number 22 in the country, at number two, Gonzaga. The Bulldogs are favored by 14. Um, I, I can't decide what I think more. St. Mary's is going to be really up because they just lost, or Gonzaga is clearly that much better, and the evidence is St. Mary's most recent loss. I'm going to lean that way and say Gonzaga wins, and I think they're hanging around like 11 to 12 for most of it and then pull away late and win by 18. I think part of the problem with the West, like there are actually like really good teams in the West Coast Conference this year and teams that can, you know, go on runs in March. So I, I'm not even discounting it from that, but just from a player personnel standpoint, it's not great for matching up with Gonzaga because they play Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren at the four and five. And Holmgren is essentially the four defensively with Timmy being the five, but he comes over and is the the weak side shot blocker, whereas offensively, um, you have Timmy down low and just dominating, and then you have Chet Holmgren basically as a four, the seven-foot wing that can do whatever he wants on you. In West Coast Conference play, Chet Holmgren has legitimately looked like the best player in the country. Now, I, I want to see him do it against better competition before I would declare that. And certainly for National Player of the Year, like he, he wouldn't get my vote because it's an overall body of work and he had like a four-point game against Texas in the non-con. Um, but I also think he is clearly, it's its not just an opponent thing. I think it's also, he's a freshman. He's figuring it out as it goes on. Um, but so far in the month of January or in the month of February, in three games, he is averaging 19 points, 12 rebounds, three assists, four blocks per game, shooting 70% from the field, 50% from three. In the month of January, he averaged 16 points, nine and a half rebounds, three blocks per game on 68% from the field and 65% from three. I don't think anyone can contain him. I'll go Chet Holmgren and Gonzaga minus the 14. Last one, number 12, UCLA, minus two at number 21, USC. Um, Give me the uh, Bruins. I'll go with the Bruins as well. I don't think it's a huge home court advantage. I've been in that arena. It's nothing special. Uh, UCLA, I think, is just the better team. All right, those are our game picks. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll have our NFL playoff fantasy draft, the final round in the Super Bowl. We'll also be joined by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. You're listening to RCST. Four o'clock hour. We're going to be joined by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, later this hour. We'll also let you hear from what Bill Self had to say to the media ahead of the Oklahoma game. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got high school basketball on the airwaves tonight. Scooting over for pregame coverage at 5.15 over there. Okay, so to this point, we've done our NFL playoff fantasy draft. We did the divisional round, we did the conference championships. 
We did the Pro Bowl last week, just add a little more spice in there. And it's pretty close overall. I have. I really, really. I was so mad we decided to do the aggregate after two rounds. Mm -hmm. Um, But now I'm looking at it like, man, that Pro Bowl helped me a lot. Yeah, it did. Um, I'm up 393 to 374 right now. So it's it's very much in striking distance. Basically a 19-point game going into the Super Bowl. And now is when things get really interesting because the rosters, uh, the player pool that we can pick from has been very much condensed down. It's just two teams, right? Um, I would like to add, we have not come up with like a, a wager, what the winning person gets. On the precipice of our appetizer draft, I think my winning pick was picking light beer. And I think the pick that puzzled the most people from you was a cannoli. So I, like I would cannolis. like I would like to wager that if you win, mm. I buy you one cannoli, and if I win, you buy me one light beer. Okay, as long as it's not like a pack of light beer. The, no, the, one light beer. Okay. So I just, will not be drinking it on air. Don't worry. Just and light beer? One light beer. And All I right. buy you one cannoli. Okay, let's High do stakes. it. High stakes. Okay. Where are you going to get it from? In, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I don't even know. where. Who sells cannolis in town? Um. Well, we'll figure it out later. Um. Anyway. I mean, yeah, I just know the Kansas City places. Okay. I have, in honor of the Super Bowl, I have a coin. I see that. Would you like heads or tails? Um, I called tails for the uh, Super Bowl thing, so I'll stick with tails. All right. This is a, a nickel. I, I didn't have a quarter. It is heads. Uh, so I will take the first pick, and with the first pick, I will select Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is really freaking good at football. He just won offensive um, MVP last night at the NFL Awards. We're playing PPR. He gets targeted all the time. <laughs> Give me Cooper Cup. Um, By the way, this is standard fantasy rules. QB, two running backs, two receivers, tight end, flex, kicker, defense. Serpentine draft, right? Yes, correct. So you have back-to-back. Well, you prevented me from my initial strategy of um, Stafford and Cooper Cup. Mm. So I'm going to go Stafford and Odell Beckham Jr. I am a little bummed that you took Matt Stafford because I wanted that, that twofer. Out of curiosity, if you would have had the first pick, who would have you have taken? Uh, Stafford. Well, ooh. Man. Yeah. As soon as I said Stafford came out of my mouth quick, but I really think Cooper Cup was, was a good pick. Okay, so we've gone all Rams at the first three picks. I now have back-to-back picks here. I mean, I know at this point I'm getting Joe Burrow, so I can wait on picking the quarterback. Um, I'm going to go with Jamar Chase for one of them. He's just really good. Now, I am a little bit worried, um, and this is, I think, maybe to me the best matchup of two players in the game because you could say, like, oh, it's Joe Burrow versus Matt Stafford. They're not actually playing against each other. They're not on the field at the same time. Jamar Chase against uh, Jalen Ramsey is going to be a phenomenal watch and and to see what happens now. Jalen Ramsey might be the best corner in the NFL. I, I kind of think he is. He They kind of use him as a weapon, though. He's not always a corner. Sometimes he's like a... A safety or in the box and stuff. He just does so many things. He did give up a long touchdown to Mike Evans a few rounds before. So he's not impenetrable. And he's also a bit of a head case. So if you can catch him with a couple big passes early, he might get out of whack. Yeah, but unfortunately, I don't get like extra points if he gets like a no, but I'm know, saying that dumb penalty. I agree, but a couple, what I'm saying is a couple early. Mm-hmm. Like, if you hit him with a couple, like a long one and then another long one that in, in one of them is a touchdown. 
then that could set you up for the whole game that him being off of it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with, with my next pick. I will take Joe Mixon. You just took Jamar Chase, right? Yeah, Jamar Chase, and now I'm taking Joe Mixon as the first running back off the board. I think Joe Mixon is just the best running back who's available in this thing. Um, so, yeah, you have back-to-back picks. Yeah, I honestly don't know. Um, I don't think – I liked your – I actually liked your pick as uh, Cam Akers. Oh, thank you. Um, no, going back to our, our game picks, I liked your, your – um, Oh, I thought you were complimenting of, me. No, yeah. Those are good. Jamar oh, Chase is okay, a very good you. pick. Yeah, but more more than that, I liked your um, your under for Acres on the rushing, but I do think maybe he grabs a mm. touchdown in there. So I am going to get. He may not hit that sixty four and a half yard mark, but I think he'll grab a touchdown. So give me Acres as a running back. I certainly ha- hope that he doesn't run for Acres of yards on Sunday. You proud of yourself? Very. All right. <laughs> um. By the way, are you going to watch the Puppy Bowl on Sunday? I doubt it. I may. I I've always Puppy wanted Bowl, to. I'm kind of better. Have. Like I'm more the li- I'm more likely to watch little like five minute clips of it on YouTube. Than yeah, the whole that's thing. a good point. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's puppies rolling around and, and you know. If I knew more about cute. the puppy bowl, I would say we each have. They have to pick a kitty a puppy. bowl too. I like cats. Mm. I don't. I I can't pick one better than the other. I had so many great pets growing dog. up. We, see, the thing is, I had great dogs, but we had a cat named Larry who was excellent. <laughs> a good name he, for a cat. Yeah, he had a job. It was awesome. <laughs> and so I we had a, I had a great experience with a cat, and so I really can't choose one way or the other. But the, the kitty bowl, also a lot of fun. Um, They care much less than the, than the dogs. Do, no, that doesn't way. surprise me. Um, I'm going to go with, um, in hopes of the possibility that Jalen Ramsey is very successful against Jamar Chase, I still would have taken Chase if I could have. But now I'm going to go to uh, with uh, T. Higgins. Yeah, that's really good. I was actually hoping that T. Higgins would make it back around to me so I could have him as kind of insurance that if one of them worked out. Um, now I have back-to-back picks. So to recap right now, you have Matt Stafford, Cam Akers, Odell, and T. Higgins. You need a running back, tight end, flex, kicker, and defense. I have Joe Mixon, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase. Um, I need a lot of positions. I have back-to-back picks here, though. Again, I can wait on Joe Burrow. I know you have your quarterback, so no need for me to use a pick on him right now. Um, I do think that there is a clear third running back to be picked because we both need two running backs. The Rams use two running backs more than the Bengals do. Yeah. And so for that reason, I'm going to take Sony Michelle with one of my picks. Now, I will say, I mean, Samaje Ryan, who's the really the other backup option, he had that touchdown against the Chiefs. He began the revolution against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. Yeah, I think, honestly, Samaje Ryan might be one of the most hated guys here in Lawrence, <laughs> right? I mean, the OU game against Texas. He ran then, for a million yards. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, okay, and then, you know, I think there's a big big difference between the tight ends. Tyler Higby has been ruled out for the, the Rams. They still like to use their tight ends, so there could be just the, you know, I would take a flyer on, we were talking prop bets with Shane Jackson yesterday. Hopkins is the backup tight end, or not Hopkins, Blanton. I think it's Kendall Blanton, who actually um, is the backup tight end for the Rams and going to be starting in this game. I think you can get him at 15-1 to odds to score a touchdown at any point in the game. That feels like a good value bet that you could maybe get on, but uh, I think C.J. Uzoma there's just a big drop off between him and the next tight end just because you don't know really anything about him. So I'll take CJ Uzoma and get my tight end out of the way. I'm going to take Samaji P. Ryan. Mm. 
I mean, the other option was taking the third this string. Is, this is difficult. Um, so but I you do, need I, a tight end flex kicker defense. I know. I'm going to play the sack game and take the Rams defense. I am really mad because I totally forgot they were on the board, and I wish I would have taken them last round. I think that might be one of the highest scorers of this event. So the Rams defense could end up being a difference maker for you. Um, I guess, again, you have another pick here. So. No, no, no. I picked oh, you P. Did. Ryan. Okay. P. Ryan in the Rams defense. Lost in the sauce. Um, So I have back-to-back picks. Again, now I can wait on my defense. I can wait on my quarterback. The smart thing for me to do would be to take my flex and take my kicker. So I'll do just that. I'll start out with the flex. It's basically between do I want Van Jefferson, the receiver for the Rams, or Tyler Boyd. I'm going to go with Tyler Boyd. Gives me some more insurance for Jamar Chase in case that doesn't work out. The Rams do at times leave the middle of the field open. Tyler Boyd's kind of the slot guy. I could see him having a nice game. And then kicker, I'll go with Evan McPherson. He Damn is it. 12 see, I, for 12. I was so, because I really think there's a there's a chance, a very real chance that the Bengals are forced to kick a lot of field goals here. Um, even though it's Zach Taylor, right? For some reason, yeah. I want to keep calling him Zach Thomas. Zach Taylor's not afraid to go for it on fourth down. Um, but I do think that the Bengals could kick a lot of field goals, and he's been really good. Um, and I, I was actually leaning Rams defense and McPherson on in my last two picks, but I decided to go with P. Ryan instead. Well, I'm glad you did. Okay, you have uh, two picks to finish this thing off, I believe. Uh, and I still need no, three. three. Okay, yeah. um, so you need a tight end, kicker, and flex. I'm going to go Blanton. Okay, Kendall Blanton is For your my tight, tight end. end. Mm-hmm. And then you need a flex and a kicker. Um, on them. Well, I already know who my kicker's going to be, so I'm going to take, I guess I'm going to leave you with the, the next uh, four running backs and take Jefferson, the third wide receiver option for the Rams. Yeah, Van Jefferson, that could be another, like, does he score a touchdown, I think, good prop bet in the game because he's had some good games, but um, probably lower odds, especially with some of the other big weapons. Okay, so I've uh, – filled up everything except for positions you already have i'll take my quarterback now joe burrow which i had to take and then oh what's the other one um cincinnati defense you have the rams yep i have no other option so i'll take cincinnati i guess i could just pass and be like i want no defense if i think that they're gonna they're get gonna negative, negative. <laughs> but I, I won't do that we need to make no let's do would we should establish through you got to take everything okay well it, i'm taking them anyway I, i'm yeah. not gonna bet on a negative uh so you have one pick left but you have to take him. rams kicker it's matt gay so there we go. Uh, we'll see if I am. Um, I knew Adam that. I just wanted to see if you knew that. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Like your NFT thing earlier this week. <laughs> All right. We'll see if I owe Adam a cannoli or if he owes me a light beer at the conclusion of our fantasy Super Bowl draft. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. We'll let you hear from Bill Self coming up in just a moment. Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, joins us in about 25 minutes from right now. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Happy Friday. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Adam Dravetta out getting you ready for Free State basketball coverage. We'll take over with our pregame starting at 5.15, tip-off at 5.30. He'll be on the call with Craig Hershiser. I'll have the boys game with the Firebirds with Craig as well. Joined now by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks here. 
so, Brian, KU coming off a loss in Austin, which we didn't think was really that big of a deal. It's, you know, a loss against uh, a really good opponent on the road where a lot of weird stuff had to happen in that game, and KU kind of faltered. Uh, one thing that, that we were, were curious about, um, because it was something that Bill Self mentioned in the pregame on the radio, was that the team could have the next couple of days off. And and I can't help but wonder with the way that things kind of tailed off at the end of that game, how much of what we saw down the stretch in, in Austin on Monday night do you think was fatigue-related? And to that notion, how important do you think uh, the fact is that they have had all these days off in between that game and tomorrow? Well, I, I think I can tell you they did wind up practicing on Wednesday. So um, I don't know if that's because they <laughs> lost or what. And I don't, I don't know how often Coach Self or any coach for that matter dangles that out there with the condition of winning. I don't know. They, they may have just decided to restructure their practice week. Who knows? But um, they probably went lighter on that day, if anything. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think he was, he was hopeful. You know, you get to 9-1. and one, You've gone through five consecutive top 25 opponents. And if you get that win, then you can put your feet up and relax for a couple of days and and watch the rest of the league beat up on each other. And thankfully, Kansas did get some help from Oklahoma versus Texas Tech on Wednesday. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think rest is necessary. And whether they truly took two practice days off, which I'm not sure that they did, or just lighten the load after the one mandated off day, maybe the next day was just a little bit lighter. They're definitely at a portion of the season where load management, not just in terms of game minutes, but in terms of practice is is something that the Hall of Fame head coach has a, a very close monitor on. So yeah, I, I think he's, he's doing a good job with that. And he's, He's been referencing playing time in games for about three weeks now of how he doesn't like the fact that Juan's playing 39 minutes and Oach is playing 38 minutes in some of these games. And He talked to the media today about Oach running around being face-guarded for the full game and having to do that in the midst of 38 minutes of, of face-guarding and trying to get open and how that can be taxing. And so yeah, it's a product of being down in terms of our, our normal you know, roster of players right now, down Remy Martin and Zach Clements, and, and obviously in the case of Remy, he'll remain out tomorrow. Zach did practice yesterday for the first time at full speed and uh, is likely to practice again today. I don't know what that means for tomorrow's status. I don't know if two good practices is enough to have him back in the mix, nor do I know what his role truly would be. You know, that's something we talked to Coach Self about on Hawk Talk on Tuesday, that uh, you know, a guy like Remy, whenever he's ready to come back, uh, you know, his type of experience level and his type of talent means there will be a spot for him somewhere, certainly. A guy like Zach, who's a true freshman trying to break in, if, if you miss this big chunk of time in the middle of the season, a lot of times roles are kind of established when you come back from that, and it's, it's uh, you know, not nearly as easy to slide back into steady minutes. And so I don't know what that will look like, but I, I would say you know, he's got a chance to play tomorrow and, and really does not. But uh, the team should be a little more rested, just not completely where you'd like to be because it has been a grind, no doubt. KU takes on Oklahoma tomorrow, noon tip-off with pregame at 10.30 here on KLWN. We saw KU almost falter to Oklahoma down in Norman earlier this year, so we know the Sooners are a very capable team, as everyone in the Big 12 is. Uh, What sticks out to you about the Sooners as we're less than 24 hours away from game time? 
Well, anybody that hits eight threes in one game is going to have a chance to, to beat a ranked team, and that's what they got out of Mo Gibson the other night. He goes for 30 on eight of 11 threes, and uh, you know we've seen Kansas opponents have special nights like that that led to our demise, and, and so you, you don't want to be on the wrong end of one of those. He's played much better. I don't think the Groves brothers have, have become you know, nearly what Oklahoma hoped they were getting, and that's not to say that, that Tanner hasn't had nice contributions. I mean, he's averaging about 12.5 points per game and just under six rebounds per game, but obviously we all knew when they transferred from Eastern Washington that the numbers weren't going to transfer with them going up against you know real Big 12 major conference big men night in and night out, but steady player uh, Tanner has been. His brother Jacob, they're not quite as, as much out of him compared to what they thought they might get. But uh, you look at it, and I think Goldwire's been a nice addition. The, the Duke transfer really does a nice job as a distributor and defensive player. Harkless continues to be a really tough perimeter guy uh, in, in terms of locking you down, and, and he can also go out and rebound, uh, as evidenced by a uh, you know, double-double he had in the, in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And so um, he, he's a guy that, uh, I guess that was an Arkansas game outside of the Big 12 SEC Challenge. They actually played Auburn in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, but he did that versus Auburn earlier this year. And so he's a guy I know our staff has a ton of respect for. And so it's a roster that I think, as we found out the other night, um, is probably better than, you know, bottom third of the Big 12. Bill Self said it today in his press conference. He said, you know, they're four and seven, but everybody in this room knows they're better than four and seven. And that's, you know, most on display by the, the tune of a 15 point victory over number nine Texas Tech, the type of margin of defeat that nobody was hanging on Tech in this league. And so they're capable when they're at their best of, of jumping up and getting anybody. But they're also capable of, of going into a doldrum like we saw when they lost seven out of eight games. And part of that was scheduling. And, you know, We talk a lot about the, the Kansas schedule with five straight-ranked opponents. They had a two-week stretch where they played number seven Kansas, number five Baylor, number one Auburn all in two weeks with West Virginia in between. So you can understand why they would have lost seven of eight. But I, I think the net net of everything I'm saying here is capable, talented, probably haven't you know lived up to everything that, that might have been projected for them. But many times when you're bringing in a new head coach and a bunch of new transfers, it doesn't necessarily always click. And, and Texas is the perfect example of that. It's taken longer for them to come around into form. I don't think Oklahoma was ever projected to be on that type of line, but they, they've got enough in the tank that they could rise up and, and really have a say in knocking off some of these teams that are in the league race. You know, they're, they're right now kind of at the, the top of the, of the back half tier. You know, you got the, the top tier of four big schools, Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, Texas. TCU would like to join that conversation at five and four. And then you draw a line and you got all these four and seven, three and seven, three and eight teams. And, and Oklahoma would be at the head of that group. They're not going to factor into winning the league. But mark my words, they will factor into somebody losing the league. And by that I mean, much like the other night, when they upset Texas Tech by 15, there'll probably be another game or two in the next three weeks where Oklahoma is good enough to beat one of those teams in front of them, which has some sort of effect in that four-way race for a Big 12 championship. And that's, that's kind of how I view them, and you just hope that doesn't come at KU's expense. We're talking with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney here. You know, and I think beyond the importance of this game, of trying to get on a roll with maybe a stretch that, you know, I, I say lighten up just in terms of 
your last handful of games were, you know, at Texas, uh, Texas Tech, Baylor, like all these ranked teams. And again, they're all really tough opponents in the Big 12, but maybe a little lighter than that. But trying to get on a roll, not just so that you can win the Big 12, but win the Big 12 and, and do enough along this way that you didn't just scathe by and barely win the Big 12 or, or win it by a share. Do enough that you can get a one seed as well. And it feels like this year, I don't know, more than at least in the last handful of years almost, feels like there's more competition for the one seeds this year. There's eight, nine, ten teams right now who feel like they're at least in some sort of discussion. And I don't know how much getting a one seed versus a two seed really matters. I mean, I could throw out the stat that 11 of the last 14 national champions are one seeds, but also, again, like history or, or numbers like that are until they aren't. Uh, but let me ask you, one hypothetical that that Adam brought up on the show earlier this week was would you rather be the one seed in say the east where you'd be going out to philadelphia or would you rather be the two seed in chicago i think it all depends on who your one seed is in Mm -hmm. chicago i I don't think location matters that much uh in in march madness yes it's nice to have you know a fan base and obviously chicago is one of our biggest alumni bases and you'd have a good roar of the crowd but but keep this in mind if if you have a building of 20,000 people and we've got half the building that are Jayhawks and then the other 10,000 are a mixture of our opponents in the Sweet 16 and and then you know the two other fan bases in the Sweet 16 Elite 8 the ones that aren't Jayhawks are all going to pull against us because they want to see upsets because they want to see March Madness mm-hmm. Cinderella whatever and so just because we might be regionally closer to a certain place doesn't mean that we get the whole building. We probably get half the building and the ones that are, you know, unbiased join forces with Cinderella. And so to me, um, you know, the sake of geography for having more fans there doesn't matter as much as matchups do. And so it's a tough hypothetical there because you don't know who the number one would be in Chicago. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we, we've had some, some good luck up in Chicago in years past. And, and yet, honestly, at this point, I'd be looking more at who's a one seed or two seed that matchup-wise you don't want to face. And maybe that's something the three of us can all look into a little bit more over the next week and expound on it uh, on next week's report as we start to kind of head down the stretch. But you're right. There has been a lot more competition for the one line, and it's been interesting to watch Kansas go off the one line all the way down to a three seed, back up to a two seed. And, and Monday was the type of game that had you gotten it, not only would you have had significant separation in the Big 12 race, but you would have, you know, kind of propelled yourself toward a little bit more legitimacy as as the Big 12 flag carrier that deserves a one. I think a lot of people a month ago thought this league is so good. Whoever wins the league is definitely going to get a one. Well, as of right now, that's not the case. The Big 12 has two twos in the eyes of Joe Lenardi, and, and I think if one team pulls ahead and I want to say runs away with it, but but wins it by three games and and you know ends up getting to the finish line with, with maybe only five or six losses overall on the season in a league this good that does deserve a one seed right now we don't have that because there's still kind of a log jam there with four teams that are all within a game game and a half of each other but you'd like to see some separation occur if you're a kansas fan and hopefully we'll get a chance to do that obviously baylor and texas are going to play each other on saturday one of those teams has to lose hopefully we hold serve in each of these next four games in which we will be not just favorites, but you know, expected favorites. And I use that term instead of considerable favorites because 
considerable in my mind means you're an eight to ten point favorite. Expected favorite means you're expected to win, and it's not a coin flip game where you're a one or a two point favorite if you catch my drift. It's not a, a one or two possession game. I think each of these next four, based on venue and opponents, should be three to four possession wins on paper heading in. If you hold serve in those, Watch what happens around the rest of the league around you with some of the head-to-heads that are about to go down. Maybe we get right back to where we thought we'd be on Monday prior to that loss at Texas. Maybe in two weeks' time we have that two- to three-game separation that we thought we were on the cusp of before the 7-0 run in the last 55 seconds down there in Austin. I've got another topic that we kind of went over this week that I'm curious uh, your thoughts on. Obviously, based on what he accomplished at KU, he wouldn't get in. But if Joel Embiid wins MVP this year, he's favored to do it right now. And the reason this got brought up, the Philadelphia 76ers just traded for James Harden. He goes on to win the finals and MVP in the same year. Do you think Joel Embiid gets his KU jersey retired? Yeah, I I think it's a great question. And I think it's important to note that when Bill Self took the job, you know, not right away, but but shortly thereafter, they eventually started to modify criteria a little bit, and and they loosened it up a little bit to where you know now just being a, a Big Twelve Conference Player of the Year award winner is enough. You don't have to be a first team All American or a National Player of the Year, first team academic, whatever. Uh, you know, you could be a Conference Player of the Year, which means that's why Marcus Morris is up there. It's why Thomas Robinson. And Devontae Graham will go up there, although certainly both were also first-team All-Americans. Frank Mason is the other guy of the three that are currently eligible but haven't yet gone up. And and I think there was talk of trying to get T-Rob back this year for the Missouri game, and they just couldn't work the dates out. But he, he's a guy that will probably have his go up next just based on, you know, A, he's qualified for it. And Coach Self likes these guys to to come back five or six years removed. In T-Bob's case, it's been a decade because you appreciate it more when you're a little bit further down the road. And if you're at a stage in your life when you can bring back a wife or a, or a child or something like that, and they can see daddy's number go up in the rafters, that's pretty cool. As opposed to doing it right after you finish up and it doesn't quite have the same uh, you know, magnitude of nostalgia and perspective and all of that. So uh, to answer your question, I, I think because self was open-minded in, in amending some of those things uh, criteria-wise, you'd absolutely have to consider, even though it's always been based on collegiate achievement and not post-career achievement, if a guy wins MVP of the NBA, I mean, Paul Pierce was a 10-time NBA All-Star and he was a finals MVP, but he wasn't a league MVP. Like that, that would be a monumental achievement. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like we haven't had that since Wilt, right? So I, I think if that's the case, you certainly have to consider it. And and I think obviously, you know, what what hurts Embiid's legacy a little bit here at Kansas was the fact that he got hurt down the stretch of his career, and that amazing class of him and Wiggins didn't have their March moment going out in the round of of, of 32. But uh, post. Kansas career, it's maybe as good of an example as any of a guy that just rose his stock with an absolutely meteoric rise to a completely different stratosphere of how he'll be remembered and revered and respected. And when you have that type of leap post-career, I think you kind of throw the previous criteria out and sit down and think, you know what, does this make sense for Kansas? Does this look good for us to show recruits when they walk in and they see Joel's number in the rafters? 
Absolutely it does. And so I, I think you guys are on to something there. And we'll see what happens over these next couple of months. But if indeed he wins one, you know, if you go inside the Kansas locker room right now, there's an entire wall devoted to Wilt Chamberlain and all of his NBA accomplishments that they go up one column and down the other with a huge 75-inch flat-screen TV turned on its side that on game days has a Wilt Chamberlain highlight reel. And it's a whole wall of Wilt. If, if Joel wins an NBA MVP award, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a, a wall of MB coming sometime soon, too, because at the end of the day, guys, it's all about if you got it, flaunt it, because you want the recruits to see it. And, and I think what you guys are talking about in terms of uh, Jersey honoree would make a lot of sense if that was the case. Yeah, I, I kind of hypothesized that I wondered if, like you said, with, with T-Rob, and then I think the next guy would be Frank and then Devontae, like that's the chronological order. I kind of hypothesized if, if maybe instead of it going chronologically, if just the, I guess, penalty you would say there for it not being all KU-related would just be that he has to wait till after those guys as opposed to being chronologically. But either way, it's it's tough. if, Like you said, if he is the MVP of the NBA, that's basically saying at one moment in time, you had the best player in the world, and he played basketball at your university. So it's, it's a very interesting uh, conversation, I think, to say the least. Yeah, I'll just add this. The most rigid voting system when it comes to honoring players is, is with Cooperstown and Major League Baseball. <laughs> and, and I think in other sports we've seen uh, open minds to, I don't want to say leniency, but, but looking at it from a different perspective. And I can understand some old school criteria clingers that say, wait a minute, we can't make this change because everybody up in the Fieldhouse Raptors has been there based on Kansas achievement, not pro achievement. But I think we're seeing a movement across the landscape of collegiate and professional sports outside of Cooperstown uh, where, where they're, they're kind of looking at things a little bit different and, and offering perspectives that, that evolves over the course of time. And to me, this would be an evolving decision that answers the question, well, is it in the best interest of KU basketball and in celebrating this player that, that brings us tremendous acclaim and, and tremendous pride by what he's doing at the next level? And if that answer is the resounding yes that you and I and Adam believe it to be, then, then yeah, I think it's a conversation worth having. That's not something I'll bring up to coach anytime soon because he's <laughs> in the throes of the season right now. But maybe at an end-of-season hawk talk, I'll, I'll bring that up and just see what he says. Because I know deep down – I mean, guys, you walk in the Kansas locker room, and in the rotunda, when you first walk in, there's these huge canvases that are probably 18 inches across, three feet tall, of 33 different Jayhawks that have played in the NBA from the Bill Self era. And there's this big, lit-up, red, kind of emblazoned floor-to-ceiling light, and it's red with a big number 33, and it says number of Jayhawks, uh, number of NBA Jayhawks under Bill Self. And, and you walk in, and it's, it's 360 degrees around you of these large canvases, again, one and a half feet by three feet, and it's all to showcase how we get guys to the next level and look at the illustrious history of pro players we've produced. Well, if you have a guy that, that turns in an NBA MVP, the most prestigious award you can win, 
I think absolutely you find a way to honor that. So I'm, I'm on board with you. Put put me on uh, the team and beat honoree with the rest of you guys. All right, there we go. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You can hear him on the call tomorrow. KU taking on Oklahoma pregame 1030. Tip-off at noon. Brian, thank you so much for the time. And a quick word from Nate Miller. That's right. My main man, Nate Miller. Got to give him some love, just like the Jayhawks are working on our game plan as we speak to take down Oklahoma tomorrow. You too need a game plan for retirement. And Nate Miller is right here in Lawrence. He's super active in the community in all kinds of philanthropic ways, but he also wants to be active in helping you with your retirement goals. So check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. They would love to sit down and, and look at your portfolio and handle the stress of retirement by getting them on your team. So check them out today, MillerRetirementGroup.com. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you next week from Morgantown talking about a Jayhawk team that's rattled off a couple of home wins and getting set to take their show on the road. There we go. Thanks again, Brian. Thank you. All right, that is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, 15 minutes to go. We're out early for high school basketball coverage. We'll close out the show coming up next with a KU Audio Mash. Five o'clock hour. This is the last portion of the show today. We're going to be out to scoot over for coverage of Free State Basketball. Girls game starts in about 25 minutes. We'll have uh, the pregame starting in about 15 minutes from right now with Adam Brevetta and Craig Hershiser over at Free State High School. Before we finished out the week, though, we got to hear from Bill Self, as we shared for you earlier. We also got to hear from Mitch Lightfoot. We also got to hear from Brandon Schneider and Holly Kierskeeter of the KU women's basketball team. As mentioned, it's going to be a pretty loaded day tomorrow for KU basketball, the men's game at noon. Pre-game at 10.30 here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 KISS as well as streaming online. And then we have the KU Women's Game at 6 o'clock. Pre-game at 5.45 and that's a big one for them as well taking on Kansas State. So we're going to do a little KU audio mashup here. Let's start out with the KU uh, men's team. Mitch Lightfoot speaking with the media and you know, Ochag Baji has gotten face guarded a couple times. Uh, of late in Big 12 play, and most notably against Texas with Courtney Ramey kind of taking him away. So for KU, both from Ochai's perspective and as a team, they're going to have to learn to play with that if other teams do that. Ochai's going to have to adjust. The team is going to have to adjust. Here is Mitch Lightfoot talking about Ochai Baji, Oklahoma, and the face guarding. Like last time, they they uh, they did a good job guarding Och for, for a, a portion of the game. Uh, we got to make sure that we can uh, get him open, get him better uh, looks at the rim, whether that be screening his man, stuff like that. So, I don't know. They play hard. They shoot the ball really well. Uh, Gibson shot the ball really well against Tech. Uh, we watched that or we watched that game. I know a couple of the guys were with me when we watched it. So, they, they play uh, real hard. They have, a, they have a bunch of talented guards. They have their talented big guys. So, they're, they're a good team. Yeah, it's interesting because Oklahoma, like percentage-wise, doesn't blow you off. Uh, the page with with what they've done from three. They're a really good two-point shooting team, top five in the country. But as far as the three-point percentage, nothing special. But they do have that kind of blow-up opportunity. Like, um, they do have that ability to 
you know, really rise up in terms of what their three-point shooting game is. When you talk about Emoji Gibson, who went 8 of 11 from three against uh, Texas Tech, when you look at Tanner Groves and you know what he's capable of from uh, the meeting with KU in the NCAA tournament when he was at Eastern Washington. And that's always something I look at. When you have a team coming into Allen Fieldhouse, do they have potential for guys who can make big shots, who can make big threes? And they certainly have that. Um, I was just looking at shot quality, which has a cool Twitter account, and they, they tweet out you know things of shot quality of games. And I don't totally know what goes into it, whether it's based on players or just the idea of this shot is the most efficient. But KU is one of the teams that generates some of the most efficient shots in the country. Oklahoma is in the mix as well in that top 10. Um, both these teams can generate those at a very high level. Now, Mitch Lightfoot also talked uh, about some of the advantages KU has when Ochai gets face guarded. And maybe that catches you a little off guard when it happens in games, specifically in overtime against Texas Tech, or when it happens down the stretch of the game for the final portion of the game against Texas. But now that it's happened a couple times, you know Bill Self and the KU coaches and the players are going to get to the lab and, and start working on it. Here's what Mitch Lightfoot had to say about some of the advantages KU can stem if teams do decide to face guard Ochai like Oklahoma possibly could. It spreads the floor so much for other guys to drive. Like if you, you think if you take away an extra defender out there, it's basically you're not now you're playing four on four if you can spread it. So there, there's definitely some opportunities to get downhill, but I think I think for us it's going to help because Oach can set screens. If you screen with with Oach and his guys are switching and he's face guarding, and there's going to be open driving lanes, and it's harder to guard those those screens. So there's there's things you can do. So without fully like going in depth to it, yeah, he doesn't want to give away the full game plan there. But obviously, for everything you do, you know it's it's always a game of chess in you know all sports. If you do this then we'll try to counter by doing this, and then we'll try to counter your counter and, and so forth down the line. Um, but certainly it sounds like KU will be prepared for that if it does happen. Ochag Baji missed a lot of time against Oklahoma last time with the the wrist injury. He was nails down the stretch of that game, though, so I would imagine that Oklahoma's going to have a, maybe a little bit of a different game plan for him. Certainly it'll help KU the fact that he will be on the court a little bit more, whether it's him making shots or just drawing away the defense, doing things like getting face guarded or getting extra attention to him. Uh, for KU, this weekend could be really big, not just from themselves with the opportunity to play Oklahoma and trying to get back into their winning ways and trying to win one that you're expected to win so that you can keep pace atop the Big 12, but also because when you look around the Big 12, you have some other opportunities to gain some separation on some other teams. Texas Tech plays TCU. Those two teams have four losses. Uh, Texas plays Baylor. That's a three and four loss team in the Big 12. So two of the top five teams in the Big 12 are for sure going to lose this week. And KU, again, you have the pressure of this is a game you're expected to win. If you want to win the Big 12, take care of it. Uh, take care of your home court advantage. Go five and four on the road. Puts you at 14 and four. You feel like that's good enough to win the Big 12. You got to beat Oklahoma. Here's Bill Self thoughts on the Big 12 race and Oklahoma. We're still in good shape. You know, uh, obviously there's there's three more teams in play that you can make a strong case to say if they won out or whatever, they'd win the league. I mean, that that, that would be the case. Uh, uh, if any of those three teams uh, uh, won out, you can make a case that they'll be hard to beat because that means they would have, with the exception of Tech, that means they would have had beat us. 
So then that gives us, you know, another loss or whatever. So uh, we're still in good shape though. And I don't, you, you know, you guys have studied this league. There's not been too many teams that have just dominated this league uh, wherever they played. Uh, everybody's vulnerable when you play teams that are as good as they are in our league. And I mean, you, you look at Oklahoma, Oklahoma, uh, what's Porter and them now? Are they four and, seven. four and seven. And everybody in this room knows they're better than four and seven. Uh, uh, I mean, they just beat a top 12. No, Tech was 10 or nine. Uh, 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 worse than anybody has dealt with them all year long. Uh, and, and, and one going away. Uh, so they're more than capable of getting on a run and winning a ton of games. They may not be, it may not be in the cards for them to win the league, but it is in the cards for them to for sure have a chance to be above 500 in our league and above 500 in our league will get you probably a, a top five or six seed for sure. So, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of good teams out there like that. And, and, uh, but, but that was impressive. What OU did to tech on uh, what day was it? Was it Wednesday? Yeah, that was, that was, that was impressive what they did. So that was Bill Self speaking on the Big 12 race in Oklahoma, and it shows you. They beat Texas Tech. They almost beat KU. Now, those are at home, so it's a little bit of a different deal. But as is the case with every team in the Big 12 this year, anybody can reach up and beat anybody. So even playing at home, you got to be careful here, even though KU is projected to win by close to 10 points in this game. Now, KU women's basketball, as I mentioned, they're taking on Kansas State on Saturday night, which you can hear that here on KLWN as well, and it's a big one for them. They're sitting at 7-4 and four in Big 12 play. If they can get above 500 in conference play, it'd be the first time in a long time that KU has done that, first of all. But second of all, you'd feel really good about your Big 12 hopes. Now, 8-10, and 9-9, it might be enough, but if you go 10-8, and eight, you're going to feel pretty comfortable. You're going to be hearing your name called come selection day for the NCAA tournament. Holly Kierskeeter is one of the star players for the KU women's basketball team. She discussed what's made such big improvements for this team this year. It's not, you know, one tiny secret little thing that people expect it to be. It's not one answer. And especially since, you know, we've, we're kind of the same team, you know, we have a lot of the same players that have been here. Obviously we have a great center now who's been a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, but I think it's just been a development of things over the years, meaning, you know, we have more experienced people who, you know, aren't just here, but wanted to stay here and get better and invest in the team that we have now. And a lot of the things, um, a lot of the reason we've been successful this year, I think Brandon put it really well earlier is we haven't looked in the rear view mirror at all. And I think that's a really good way to put it and just how fearless we've been. You know, we don't, you know, we don't look at our opponents ranking or, you know, how did we play them last year or do they have the same people or just things like that. I just think we've been really well at looking forward and just having more belief as a team. And it's just worked really well for us. For Holly Kierskeeter, she's encroaching on a thousand points, I think eight points away for Holly Kierskeeter, her head coach, Brandon Schneider, talked about her career and encroaching on that number. A, a terrific uh, career here to this point. I think, um, you know, we recruited her um, as, as kind of an energy guy and, and a defender, somebody that could get out and transition and, and, and discovered that, you know, she's a hell of a shooter. And uh, we spent most of uh, 
her freshman year, um, you know, really getting on her to, to shoot the basketball. And I think uh, as she transitioned into last year, she came in with a completely different men mentality and um, is, is continued to try to grow her game. Um, I think it says a lot about her willingness to work and, and um, you know, our, our coaches. She's had some really good coaches who've worked with her uh, in terms of her, her skill development. That was Brandon Schneider talking about Holly Kierskeeter. Now, he also discussed the importance of this K-State game, which will be played in Allen Fieldhouse at 6 o'clock on Saturday. Well, it's, I think it's an important game for, for both programs, obviously, in regards to uh, league standings, um, you know, potential NCAA tournament seating. Um, you know, we've, we've both uh, been fortunate to have uh, really good years. Um, our records are extremely similar. And, um, you know, it's, 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 I know, I know speaking from, from my point of view, it's, it's the next game on the schedule, but, um, has big implications, uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, positioning for not only conference tournament, but, but potential NCAA tournament seating. Again, you can hear all that action here on KLWN over the weekend. That's going to do it for today's edition of RCST, though. I'm Derek Johnson. Thank you to Adam Dravetta. Thank you to the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, for hopping on the show. Check out our Best of RCST podcast if you missed any of it. We're scooting out of the way early. High school basketball coming at you next here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.